One problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now, here is your host, Rick Morris. And welcome to another edition of the Work-Life Balance. So excited to have you guys along. Uh, it's been another fantastic week um, that I'll get into in just a moment. But uh, today's show, we're going to be talking about the art of ethical influence. It's actually a series uh, that I'm being challenged to to create, um, really kind of speaking about my small business experiences and, and for entrepreneurs, consultants, you know, people that are on their own, people that run small businesses, um, it's really kind of a, a show for you guys. But um, I, I like to start, as I always do, just kind of recapping the week. Had a fantastic week in the sense that um, yeah, I actually had two events cancel. I know that sounds horrible, um, but I was supposed to be in Phoenix, then in Houston. But this week was spring break uh, for my family. And so through natural attrition, those those events went away. Um, and uh, I was happy because I got to spend the whole week at home and and kind of worked in the mornings and, and then played in the afternoons with the, with the kids. So I had a great time uh, and it really kind of re-energized me and, and picked things up. Got a lot of stuff going on. Um, we're seven weeks out now uh, from the Mickey Mouse Club reunion that, that I'm one of, one of uh, three executive producers of. And so now we're getting into final checks and balances. The event's right around the corner. Got a lot of stuff going on there. If you're interested, that's MickeyMouseClubReunion.com. Uh, but it's actually the 30th year uh, anniversary of that show airing. And a lot of people my age, you know, we, we grew up with the club, you know, day in and day out. Um, and so this is a pre- this is something that, that these fans, I mean, they've been, the, the show has been off uh, for quite some time now, probably 23 years now. Um, and to have such a rabid following uh, all coming down to Orlando to hang out with us, it's going to be a great time. We're, we're super excited about that event. Uh, I did a lot of coaching this week, a lot of work with with uh, thinking partners. I've got some amazing announcements. I can't make them yet. Uh, I can make one of them April 3rd, um, which I, I can't wait to share this news with, with you guys in the audience. It's 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 really exciting, uh, and I'm so honored and blessed to be asked to do this. So um, I'll speak more about that on, on next week's show. Um, and then last night, you know, I'm sitting there. Uh, doing some prep work for for some things, and an email just kind of kind of came out of the blue uh, to me. And um, you know, I, I said I was coaching some people this week, and and a question I get uh, often is, you know, why do you speak? Why do you do the radio show? Why do you speak on stage? Why do you do that? And I'm going to give you some more insights uh, to that on today's show. But if you want to know the real reason, the real reason is is to to impact and influence people. It's 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 a way to give back to the community. It's a way. Uh, to share some thoughts. And, but I, I can tell you, being a, a professional speaker, that there, there's a lot of uh, self-doubt that, that goes on with that. You know, do, did I say the right things? Did I connect with the audience? You know, why would they even you know, pay to listen to me? You know, all those kind of thoughts go through your brain. And so you know, people ask me the why, and you know, I tell them the influence. But then you get an email, um, and, and this is out of Louisiana. And, and I, I've got to say, it's probably been at least five years since I've spoken in Louisiana. Um, but I just wanted to share this with you. I'm going to, I'm going to keep his name cause I, I, 
uh, out of it because it's somewhat personal, but it just says, you know, hello, Rick, I, I doubt you will remember me. I was sitting here putting together a huge project plan for the most important project for my company. As I was working with the schedule, I could not help but reflect back on a class that I attended and you instructed. At that point in my career, I had taken multiple Microsoft project classes and still fought with Microsoft Project. Looking back on your class was the turning point in my project management career. The way you presented the techniques, examples that you used, your charisma, I don't know, something just clicked. From that class, I developed a strong foundation in the simple scheduling techniques, also on how the plan drives the work. I still use these techniques on a daily basis. The great part is these techniques are system agnostic, and I've used them in multiple project management platforms. There's been a lot of road traveled since that class, some smooth, some bumpy. As I'm finishing up this plan, I just wanted to say thank you and let you know that you are a huge impact in my life and career. Looking back, you never know who you're going to meet and how those people will impact your life. Thank you again for being who you are. You're a blessing to me in the project management profession. And I'll, I'll tell you what, as a professional speaker, getting a note like that um, really just drives you, really revs you up. Somebody took time uh, to 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 thank you. And, you know, I'll get thank you notes and, and things like that, you know, two, three days after a presentation. But, um, you know, this one, this one was very, very, very meaningful uh, to me. So the person that wrote that, you know who you are. I just wanted to say thank you very much uh, for taking the time. It does have a tremendous impact um, on me as well as, you know, anybody that's, that's ever helped, anybody that's ever taken time and spoken into your career, anybody who's ever taken time out and given you a little nugget of information, the, the simple, you know, five, 10 minutes it takes um, to thank them, to, to send a message like that um, really, really means a, a, a tremendous amount. So to you, I thank you and uh, uh, let's get into the show. So I titled the show, The Art of Ethical Influence. Again, that is the, the title of a series that, that I'm looking to, to produce um, to, to help you know, small business owners. We, you know, I announced a, a, a few weeks ago um, that I just completed, you know, I, I have my 10th anniversary now uh, of our Square Consulting and I ran a small business uh, for four to five years before that. So um, starting to realize that that is, you know, the, 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 that's really an upper percentage point of people who can make it 10 years. And I've learned a lot of tricks um, and ways to negotiate, ways to write contracts, the way to deal with things um, throughout that time. And so I thought now it's time to start sharing, you know, some of that and, and start um, talking you guys through uh, some of those tips and tricks. And so for instance, um, I learned through time um, that I, I, I personally, I don't respond to RFPs. It's, it's a lot of work. A lot of times um, the decisions already made before the RFP went out. Somebody was in there working with them. They got a price and then, you know, their purchasing department says, well, we need to see three prices. Um, so if you're not in there helping generate the RFP, then the likelihood that you're going to win an RFP is, is pretty slim to done. Um, but uh, at the same time, I always get fascinated um, by the questions and the things that are in an RFP. And I mean, they pretty much, they ask for like blood samples and DNA. It's crazy what they ask for. And so I remember, um, I remember uh, I, I was negotiating with a, with a small company and it was a small deal. It was like a $25,000 deal for, you know, 50 licenses of software. And uh, that the, it wasn't a lot in the grand scheme of things. And in order to become a verified purchaser, they wanted to know my, my last three years of financials, 
um, my five biggest clients that I, I bill, uh, they wanted to know what my three-year uh, projected future plan is, all this other stuff. And, and look, there's, there's valid business reasons for some of that. But um, I answered, you know, basically N.A., Nunya, Nunya Business. I, I, I didn't answer any of those questions. And I got on the phone with the customer and an analogy came to me, and it's one that I've used often um, ever since. But um, they said, well, you know, why won't you give us this information? I said, look, I said, it's depending on the investment that, that you're going to make versus how free I'm going to be with a lot of this information. Plus, I'm privately held. I don't have to tell you anything. But I said, look, you're, you know, if you, if you were looking at Domino's and you were going to buy the whole company of Domino's, yeah, all this information makes sense. If you were going to buy a franchise, then, you know, some of this information makes sense. But you're buying a pizza from me, and there's no way I'm giving you all that information uh, and all the insight into my organization uh, for the price of a pizza. So, you know, it depends on the investment that you're getting into and the, the growth of the partnership, the long-term value of the partnership before I start sharing any of the financial details of my organization. And, and that stuck with them. They actually appreciated the honesty of that, of that response. Um, and I didn't have to provide any of the information and I got the deal. Um, and so I, I started to, to look at those types of interactions and those analogies that I use because to me, that is the art of ethical influence. I'm influencing them in such a way that they see my side, but I'm doing it ethically. I, you know, I didn't say I would never give you the information, but you know, we have to be further partners before you can start to dive into some of that. Um, and so that's where this whole thought of, of the art of, of ethical influence came out. So I, I think um, I, I'm actually going to save that for, for segment two, but um, so RFPs to me is just, there's such a huge waste of time that I've got some qualifications. So when somebody asks me an RFP, I'll ask, was this self-generated? Is this generated with somebody in mind? Do you already have somebody in mind? Uh, and you're just price shopping. You know, what is it that you're doing? Because I, I think one of the biggest things an entrepreneur devalues is their own time. Um, and it took Seth Godin speaking into me to, for, for me to recognize that. Um, you know, he basically asked me the question. I've said it several times on the show, but we'll, we'll do it again. He said, are you a freelancer and entrepreneur? So what do you mean? He said, well, a freelancer builds their time for money uh, and an entrepreneur basically builds a business and gets out of the way. So, so you can't be both. Which one are you? And I said, well, then I'm a freelancer, right? Most, most of my contracts are time and material contracts for my time. And he said, okay, well then if you're a freelancer, he says, I'm not saying uh, whether you're a freelancer or an entrepreneur is good or bad. You just have to decide what you are so that you can build a pricing strategy. And he said, so the only way for you to really reach your financial goals as a freelancer is to get better clients. Now, I've told you this many times on the show. I love when somebody can speak so succinctly and drop a bomb like that to me. And he said, so he goes, do you have a client right now that's undervaluing you on price? And at the time I did, it was a fixed price. It was a horrible project. They were trying to get every possible penny out of me without, you know, really putting any of the effort in themselves. And it, it was just a nightmare. And it was consuming all of my time. And he said, so first of all, they're not paying you what you're worth. So that was step one. Step two, you can't go find somebody to pay you what you're worth because they're consuming your time. He said, so I think the decision point's pretty clear. And you're like, yeah, yeah, it is. And I ended up firing that client. And, and it wasn't but, you know, three weeks later, I think that I landed somebody that, 
that not only exceeded that contract, but but paid me, you know, what I what I deemed valuable for the market. So that experience really, really played into me because um, if I started thinking about the hours and hours and hours I was spending on them that were uncompensated um, versus taking that same amount of time and going finding people that that fit me. Um, then goodness knows where I would be. And so the same goes for RFPs for me. You just spend hours and hours and, you know, they got to be collated and table of contents and they want nine copies and big binders and, you know, all this stuff. And I realize a lot of people work with the government and that's generally the only way that, that you get these big contracts. But for me, they're just not worth it. It's just, I'm, I'm not going to put 150 hours into a sales cycle to, to win 500 hours of, of consulting business. It just doesn't make sense. So these are some of the things that we're going to talk through. I'm actually going to get into pricing and some pricing strategies. How do you set your value? How do you set your price? And some things that have worked for me, but we're going to do that right after the break. You're listening to the Work-Life Balance with Rick Moore. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. In today's hyper-fast, super-competitive business world, on time is now too late, on budget is now too expensive, and today's innovation is tomorrow's antique, which means app releases that used to happen regularly now need to happen continuously, while always delivering experiences that keep your customers coming back for more. In other words, you need to be agile, and there's no better way to get there than with agile management from CA Technologies a complete set of solutions and services that make agility a reality so you can anticipate and rapidly respond to change and immediately incorporate customer feedback build a flexible bridge between ideas and execution and transform app delivery from an endpoint into an always-on part of your development lifecycle while ensuring an exceptional service experience so be the one who wins app after app day after day with agile management from CA. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. 
And we're back to the work-life balance on this Friday afternoon, talking about the art of ethical influence. And, you know, a hot button for a lot of uh, entrepreneurs, a lot of consultants, a lot of coaches out there, uh, even small businesses, is, is you know, ethically uh, establishing a price. So, so many people get in their head of, you know, I, I don't know that I can ask for this. I'm not sure if there's enough value for this. And, and so, you know, it's, it's one of the, the, the biggest topics that, that I meet with other entrepreneurs and coaches to, to help them kind of clear, clear their brains on that. So, um, you know, for instance, if I'm working with a leadership coach, the, the question is, you know, not how much are you per hour. The question is, how much value are you providing the other person? And there's a secondary question there that says, you know, how many people are you going to be able to help if you can't pay your bills? So, so there, there's this stigma about cost and price and money um, that's very difficult for entrepreneurs to, to overcome. And that's because they feel guilty or they're not sure. Or whatever. Look, there, there's no guilt whatsoever if you're giving and providing the value that is expected. And so, um, you know, I know so many coaches out there and uh, in, in speakers that, that start free. Heck, I started free. Um, and I'll tell you, it's hard to come off of free. It's hard to, it's hard to have an organization get all of your value and, and your, your passion for free and then turn around and try to establish a rate and charge for it. So you, you kind of have to, you have to influence that conversation early on. So personally, I, 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 I don't do free work. I may choose um, to do something for free as my choice, but it's not an entry point into the door for me. Um, and so what I do is if I am going to do something for free, um, it's a, it's a, if I will you conversation, meaning if, if I do this for free, will you do this for me? And so now it's a, it's a barter versus, versus free. And I'll give you a great example there. I mean, there are events that, that I do for free on purpose. One of those is that I do a nonprofit leadership conference here in my, in my city, in my community. And I invite any executive director of a nonprofit and we do a full day of leadership. To me, that's my way of giving back to the community. However, I still say if if this works for you, if this is valuable for you, if you saw value in this, will you bring three more people with you the next time we do it? It's, there's still a, a conversation piece there that says that, that starts to set you up ethically to, to influence an outcome, which is eventually, you know, I want to get paid and, and I want to get, you know, generate revenue. So, you know, I have a friend that, that says, you know, I'm, I'm doing free masterminds. And I was like, but, but what do they get, right? So they get tremendous value of the mastermind. But, you know, how you set something like that up is you say, look, if I do this for free because you're my friend, you know, and I want you to experience this, um, will you bring me five people, um, at least five names that I can contact for my next mastermind, which is going to be paid? And I'll tell you one of the greatest phrases, um, that you can utilize. And that is, um, it's around setting the price, but most people are trained to say, what's your budget? And, you know, that becomes a, a conversation piece. It's almost a conversation stopper because most people are aware of that sales tactic and won't reveal a budget because they're afraid you're just going to come $1 underneath. So you've got to be able to phrase things in such a way that allows them to establish the value, and then you can decide whether or not that's a valuable use of your time. So for instance, 
when somebody says, what's the price? Go, look, I, I, I don't know what the final price is going to be. I normally tell my clients that I started 20000 All right, so ethically and using ethical influence by saying, I normally tell my clients that it's 20000 for that. Well, you just told them and they're your potential clients. So you didn't say normally I charge. You say normally I tell my clients that it's 20000 Well, they can go, well, oh, that's too much and go, look, you know, I'm looking to make an impact here for your organization. And the next time, you know, I will want it to be 20000 once you see what I can do for the organization. But what do you think an entry point deal is? And they can turn around and go, we, you know, look, we've got no more than 12000 to, to to do this. And now you have a decision point, right? But the price conversation itself is is out of the question now. So, they just establish the price point. You're going to establish whether or not you're going to do whatever the work is for that amount. But it, it, it isn't a direct sale like, what is your budget? Okay, I can do it for that. It's not the question. The question is, how much value do you, do you place on this and whether or not I'll accept that value? And it's a simple technique, gang, but I'm telling you how powerful it really can be. So the technique, again, is... I set a limit. So it's, you know, coaching. Well, normally I tell my clients I'm 500 bucks an hour. Now, if you want to come up with 250, I can choose whether or not 250 an hour is a good use of my time and, and I'll go from there. Um, but it, it, it's, it stops the, well, how much is this going to cost? And I'll tell you my, my favorite technique of all is when somebody, you know, I'm, I'm 20 minutes into a conversation with them and they go, well, what does something like this normally cost? Well, to me, that's a silly question at this point. We haven't even established what it is that we're going to do, how much time that's going to take. And so I always answer the same way. And, it, and it's kind of a joke. And I just say, look, I guarantee you for you, it's going to be less than $5 million. I, gar- I guarantee $5 million. In fact, probably two and a half, I won't even touch $2 million, right? And, and it go a little over the top on that, but it, it basically nullifies the question. I never come back to a real value and go, look, I don't know. Let's, let's figure out what we can do for you here and, and, and we'll establish the proper value. But I guarantee you to be less than 2 million, right? And he's like, good, because I was thinking 20,000. Well, 20,000 works for me, right? I've, I've had those conversations. It works. It kind of alleviates the pressure, but it also starts to build trust with, with the customer. The other big thing around a pricing strategy is to make sure that your values are aligned. Like I've, I've never understood the vendor-client relationship when the, the client is trying to squeeze the vendor down so much that they almost don't want to do the work, right? But then the vendor accepts the work because they want the sale and the revenue, and now both people are unhappy. Like we've, we've got to figure out ways to, to tie this in. And so I'll give you a perfect example of worked with an organization. This is years ago. Worked with an organization, um, and they had already tried to, to, to build a system to do this, and it failed. And so now they're a year out, and it was a first-to-market strategy, meaning you know, if they're first-to-market with it, then, then they, cha- they have the chance to reap real rewards. I mean, really get after the business. And so you know, I pitched my rate, and I think at the time, I was 235 an hour. Yeah, I, I was 235 an hour at the time of this. And um, they said, look, will you take a reduced rate? And there was something about the way they asked the question. I built trust with the people in the room and I looked at them. I was like, you know what? I know you've been burned and I know things didn't work out here in the past for you. So here's what I'm willing to do. I'll take 200 an hour for, for every hour that I bill. But when I deliver the system in the time frame I say I can deliver it and I pitched 1500 hours, 
I said, when I deliver this in 1500 hours, you're going to pay me the, the additional $35, you know, times the 1500 hours, um, as, as a bonus, as a reward for, for meeting our objectives. They actually went and huddled and, and gave me one of my greatest contracts of my life. They came back, they said, you know what, this is a first to market strategy, like we were saying. So if you can do this in 1500 hours, like you're saying, we'll give you 60 bucks an hour on top of the 200 at, at completion. And then they actually walked me down. So they said at 1800 hours, uh, it's going to be, uh, I think it was uh, 245. At 2200 hours, it was 235, which is where I was. If it went 2500 hours, uh, it was 215. And if it went beyond uh, uh, 2900 hours, it, I was going to stay at the 200 rate. Well, what they just did was align my value of getting the highest possible dollar per hour that I could get with their value, which was speed to market. And I finished the project in 1,537 hours. And there's no way I was billing those other 37 hours. Just do the math, right? 37 times 200 versus 1,500 times 60. And it turned out to be the project of the year for the organization. And um, they got packaged and sold um, I think for 4X of what they were anticipating within a year of that project being live. It was a, I mean, it was a breakthrough project for them and a breakthrough system that allowed them to, to, to really grow their revenue. So my point of all that is, is you can structure a deal and, and you can suggest a deal because I was willing to come off my rate, but still wanted my rate um, when we delivered. Um, that gave them the confidence to say, I'd say you what, you know, and I'm sure that they had all their financial figures of what they would get if, if they were, you know, three months early to the market, six months early to the market, um, and gave us a cut of that. Um, and I can tell you when, when you're aligned, the, the vendor and the client are aligned properly, then that is the art of ethical influence. And that is, you know, you're influencing me through monetary gain. I'm influencing you through speed of market. And the fact that we were working on it together, um, really made sure uh, that, that we delivered a good product. I was driven to get decisions. They were driven to make sure that I was producing and, and it was all, both of us were, were getting huge gains by doing so. Uh, and it was probably one of the most incredible teams and incredible projects I've ever worked on, but we were both motivated to do fantastic work. Now you take the flip side where somebody tries to knock you down to 200 an hour, then fix price it, then ask for you know $30,000 more worth of work it becomes a fight. It becomes a struggle. System doesn't get done. You almost don't like working for that client. Um, and, and so you're not mentally where you need to be to be at your best and a poor product comes out of it. So I, I, I've never understood other than saving money, but it doesn't because there's tons of statistics to say it costs twice as much to redo the work than it does to do. It's actually a forex multiplier in some cases to redo the work versus do the work properly out of the gate. Um, and if you can align your expectations with the person you're hiring or you as a consultant allow your, your client's expectations to align with yours, then, then magic happens. It just happens. So that to me is, is how you can ethically influence a price and make sure. Um, and, and a final point on that is, is Dr. Cialdini talks about this. He says, uh, the worst thing you can say is don't mention it. You know, so if you have a, a customer coming to you and go, wow, you did great work or whatever, you go, oh, don't mention it. No, 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 no. We, we want them to mention it. But if you can just change one phrase, you're ethically influencing them to, to be along. You can say something like, you know, if, if it were you, you would have done the same. Or you can say something like, um, 
well, that's just what long-term partners do for each other. Again, ethically influencing an outcome of, of where you want to be with them, which is a long-term partner. But don't mention it's kind of one of the worst phrases that, that you can use. All right, so we're going to take a break right here. When we come back, um, we're, we're going to talk through a couple of these other uh, options. Um, one of my biggest ones is, is how are you speaking in the radio show to, to land clients? So those of you that are podcasting, doing all that other kind of stuff, I'm going to talk you through the process there. So we'll be right back here on the Work-Life Balance. You've been listening to Rick Morris. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Winning in the application economy means executing a business strategy that gets the hottest products and apps out the door and into market faster than ever before. But what happens when hot is suddenly not? Can you instantly pivot and prioritize your plans and investment portfolio to react to the new reality and make sure your strategy is right on target? You will with CA Project and Portfolio Management, the proven solution that enables agile, effective decision-making across your entire investment portfolio. Unlike other tools, CAPPM is designed to work the way you do. Doers are empowered, planners are enabled, helpers are elevated, and customers are engaged. All while you maximize performance and portfolio value. It's little wonder that CAPPM is the industry leader with more than 2 million happy users worldwide, not to mention world-class consulting and implementation partners. So why not give CA Project and Portfolio Management a closer look and make everything you've got put you out in front? Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. Comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the work life balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the Work-Life Balance on this Friday afternoon, talking about the art of ethical influence. And so we dealt with RFPs. Uh, We talked about uh, strategies for the sale, how to respond to price. One of the biggest ones... Um, is learning how to enable your your community, how to to work through um, your your community. So I, I just wanted to talk through um, 
kind of what my marketing strategy was and in how I've utilized that to, to continue to generate business now, um, you know, as I continue this business. So I made a decision a long time ago uh, that from a marketing perspective and a sales perspective that I, I, I just didn't want, um, I didn't want to invest in a large marketing staff or sales staff. I kind of wanted to, to build a business that attracted the clients and the right clients that I wanted to attract. And so I decided to do that through, through knowledge expertise, through building, you know, you know writing a book, uh, doing seminars and, um, and teaching uh, from my previous experience, not just uh, theories, but, but proven concepts that have worked in my career and um, started to market that and, and figured that the, the people that I was talking to were, were people that were going to be potential clients. So essentially, I was creating an infrastructure where I was getting, getting paid to also further uh, potentially sell my services. So um, it, it became a, 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 what I call a knowledge transfer sale. It, it, I, I get out there as a keynote speaker and, and give them an hour of, of solid content, um, but also build a dream set for, you know, wow, we, we would love to have him in our organization. We'd love for him to come in and, and talk to the rest of our organization, right? So there's not a direct pitch from from the stage, but I do build um, scenarios or work in stories of what could happen for organizations um, and get them thinking in that direction when I speak. That's why I do that. Um, and so the the secondary thing that that we did was become um, knowledge experts to to help promote someone else's business. And so what I mean by that is um, you know, what I really enjoy is solving project management issues and, and um, building the tools and processes, but people aren't going to invest all the time in, in, into that type of work. So what they end up investing in is the software and they use us because they know that we can align the, the tools and processes around it as well. So um, we then became experts in, in a couple of different software packages and then became the, the group that the software company would would bring in to help close the sale uh, and set up a partnership and allow us to implement their software where their only goal was to sell the software. Um, and so what that does though, when you think through that, is now essentially all of the salespeople at the, that software industry become agents for us, but the, the compensation is through the sale of the software. There's really no you know, interaction or, or transaction between me and the sales team. Um, I'm just helping them meet their number, meet their goals and, and achieve their financial compensation. And so when you, when you think through a strategy like that, um, it's essentially help me help you. Um, but everybody has their compensation in, in, in different ways. I get compensated through, through doing the services. They get compensated through the software sale and everybody's happy. Um, I, I bring that up. Um, because as you are being an entrepreneur, as you're being a client or, or something, what is there something out there that is a tool set or something that, that is a tangible thing that can be implemented that you then can bring coaching and tools and processes and leadership training and things like that around it? Uh, and if so, what, what's in that market? Um, and, and who are the players in that market? And start to build that relationship and become partners with them, which allows you to enable an entire sales staff without having to have, you know, all the salaries and bench and everything else that comes with it. And so um, that, that, that was a huge turning point in, in my career when I started to, to go down that path and we started to land clients from it. 
um, and it allows us to grow the business. Um, but but I'm I'm doing it in instead of you know going on site and doing a week of of selling for free. Uh, I'm essentially monopol not monopolizing but utilizing the opportunities that I have um, to 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 sell the vision and sell the dream. Um, from multiple different locations. Um, it's why even it's not why I did the radio show, but the radio show became a natural extension of me sharing that that level of expertise, and it gets people to understand and know and like and trust me, um, as as they you know a part of the show, and eventually if if services that come out are in my wheelhouse, then they feel like they already know me and, and trust me and, and you know will call. Um, and that's really the point of marketing. It's it, if you look at how Facebook marketing, you know, works. There's there's some video dude out there, and they're and they're pitching the, this vision and the story for you, and you click on it and give your email address, and they give you something for free. And then from there, they start to pull you into their funnel, and you begin to know, like, and trust them, and begin to buy their products. So it was basically I was doing that, but in person. Um, versus utilizing, you know, social media advertising, that kind of stuff. But the the biggest thing to me in, in all of this is learning how to leverage other people's strengths. Um, so my my favorite quote of all time from from John Maxwell is is you know you can be successful by yourself for sure for sure you can be great success by yourself but you're never going to really get to a level of significance unless you have a team around you. And once you taste significance, success is never going to satisfy. And so you have to start looking at that um, and, and really have to develop an abundance mentality as an entrepreneur. So I watch so many entrepreneurs try to protect every asset they have. Um, and, and when they do that, it's a scarcity mentality. So everybody's competition, nobody can help you, and you end up doing everything on your own. If there's an abundance mentality, that means I'm enabling um, a lot of other people to become agents of the organization and they're going to make money. I'm going to make money. Everybody's going to be happy, um, which, which is crazy. And John is, is, is really one of the best that, that I've watched model that because, you know, he just had a book uh, come out in February, uh, Leaderships, um, in February, March. And I did a show about attending that live thing, but he taught us leaderships at least two or three times before the book came out. And he even said, Go, go use it on stage. Go say it on the stage um, as your own material. And then when the book comes out, you can go, man, that John Maxwell, he took my stuff. And he said, and the reason why I can do this is because I know by the time you grasp this material and you can start to use it and monetize it for yourself, I'm going to be developing new. I have an abundance mentality that this isn't the only idea I'm going to have. So take it, have fun with it, use it, do whatever you want to do with it um, because I'm already working on the next three books. And, and when you see somebody like that uh, who's so successful, it, it just makes sense to have that abundance mentality, to, to pour into other people as much as you can and share ideas and give them your ideas, um, you know, help them leverage their, their strengths. Um, but the, the, the moment you begin to learn to leverage other people's strengths, uh, the, the better off you become. And, and so me taking that advice as well, um, you know, I've started to expand and, and, and let people become agents in, in terms of sales. I've, I've got a new backend group of, of people that help me with implementation um, and just a lot of that kind of stuff. To, but I was doing all that. I was doing all the sales, doing all the marketing, doing all the content, um, you know, doing 60% of the delivery of the, of the system on top of trying to, to keep a business running. And that, 
it provides a, a good living, but it, it is, it's untenable in, in the ways that, you know, you can't keep that pace up. And it took me a long time. I've had people, you know, steal my material. I've had people, um, you know, use titles and use trademarks and, and, and try to pass them off. And, and it's going to happen, but I can't run a protective organization that's going to grow by, you know, a scarcity mentality, by, by worrying that, somebody's going to take the idea. Look, I'm, I'm sharing these ideas freely on the, on, on a podcast and, and radio station right now. Take them. They're, they're yours. They're not mine. Um, use whatever you want to use. Say it came from you. I don't even need credit for any of the ideas that, that we put out here. It's the point of sharing and having an abundance mentality. But if you can find a way to, to tap into a tool set, an industry, a, an assessment, something of that sort that you can become the agent of um, that's going to help you with your business, then you essentially also start to enable the sales organizations um, of, of those companies to start working for you. Um, and so it's, it's something that, that I, I ask my entrepreneurs to think through and, and try to go find and search Google and tell me the companies that are in the space. Um, what, what's one thing that you think you could add to, uh, you know, a software package in terms of, of services that, um, would really make a difference in an organization and then go after it. But, um, the, the point is, 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 you know, most of our ideas, as much as we want to think it aren't unique, they're a blend of, of 27 other people's ideas and we're just putting it together in different words, um, but have an abundance mentality. Go after it. Share. Pour into people. Don't do anything for free. I already talked about free, but certainly pour into people and making sure that they really understand that you're there to, to make them successful. And in turn, they'll make you successful. And it's a fantastic way uh, to grow your, your organization. I'm going to give one more story after the break here um, about what I call low-hanging fruit. So if you're a consultant or entrepreneur, that kind of stuff, some low-hanging fruit that you can go after uh, in organizations to make a huge, huge impact. Uh, and we'll discuss that right after the break, and it'll be our last segment of the show. You're listening to the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the Work-Life Balance on this Friday afternoon. All right. Sorry about that, gang. I was getting some feedback there. It's the beauty of live radio. But uh, did want to um, uh, just kind of tie off the, this whole subject. Um, you know, the, the low-hanging fruit is, is the, the thing that I promised in this last segment, and I'll accelerate it here. Um, in every project, in every project, in every organization, there's an issues list. There's something that went wrong. There's something that didn't get solved, what have you. In every one of those projects, though, that means somebody had to solve it somewhere. So they created some sort of alternative process or they did something as a workaround. And then now that has just become the way it's always been done here. And so low-hanging fruit for me is, is you know, I can walk into an organization and say, give me the, the, the 10 processes that you think cost you the most money. And uh, the story I always tell around that is around a bank. It was around in-kind transfers. And, and to make a long story short, 
um, basically they felt that they couldn't do two things at once. It was two different departments. And so they were relying on each other and that created an alternative process that, that cost a lot of money. Well, nobody actually went to the two departments to find out how they get the information in the same sheet of paper uh, generated the start of the process for two different departments. So really all we had to do was cross train one of the, the departments and then we wouldn't need this other process, which was cost, costing them roughly two hundred to $250,000 a year. And I mean, it took me 45 minutes to go through that discovery, understanding and fix that process because most people don't ask the why, uh, why are we doing this process? Why are we doing this? So if you're a new entrepreneur, new consultant, new new thing, you know, one of the ways that, that I've generated contracts before is to say, look, give me your, your top five processes and I'll only charge you 10% of the verified hard dollar costs that, that we find. You know, no soft labor and you know, any of those costs, but the true hard dollar costs that, that we save by en- enacting a new process, then my fee is going to be 10% of whatever that is. And you take the 90% and of course, year over year, you get the 100%. And uh, uh, that has been a huge um, selling point for us in, in, in a way that we've generated a tremendous amount of revenue because, again, it's win-win. If I can't eliminate the process or if I can't fix the process, then they don't owe me anything. But if I can, then depending on the process itself, again, it was 45 minutes, uh, 10% of that would have been twenty grand. That's, that's not a bad hourly rate um, to, to be able to, to fix something like that. And, and so much of it seems to be common sense, but again – you know, in the heat of the moment, they didn't have time. Somebody created a process as a workaround, and then that became the way it's always been done. There's so many inefficiencies in a company um, that that can be triggered that way. So that's why I say that's my low-hanging fruit in what uh, what I would go after uh, starting out a, a new business. Um, with that, that's our show today. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed it. Always looking for the feedback. Um, you know, send me through LinkedIn. Uh, I'm at Rick A. Morris. Facebook's Rick A. Morris. Twitter is Rick A. Morris. Um, I, you can email me at rick at rickamorris.com or rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Let me know what you guys want to talk about. Um, we've got some really, really exciting shows uh, coming up. Next week, I'm going to have uh, Greg and Julie Gorman on uh, who do, a phenom- do phenomenal work. Um, around uh, the sanctity of marriage and, and people's marriages. They're a phenomenal uh, group. Um, the week after that, I'm going to have a replay, and then we're going to have uh, Tuan win. Uh, Tuan just brought the house down at the John Maxwell team. And uh, uh, he, uh, he's got an incredible story um, coming uh, actually out of prison. And you're not going to want to miss that. We have that uh, coming up April 19th. Um, We'll have a show with just me on the 21st. And then on the 28th, I'm going to have my great friend Sheree Griffin on the show. So we got a lot of exciting things uh, queuing up here. Uh, a lot of good, uh, good content. So keep it coming. If you know somebody that I should bring onto the show, let me know. Um, there's, there's a form on voiceamerica.com that you can reach out to me as well. And uh, as always, I'm hoping that you guys are, are, are really spending time on your both work balance and your life balance. Otherwise, we'll talk to you guys next Friday. You've been listening to Rick Morris. Thank you for joining us this week. The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now that the weekend is here, it's time to rethink your priorities and enjoy it. We'll see you on our next show.